Hello and welcome to another episode of Story Conversations. I'm Simon Arrowsmith and with me, with me as always is... Susan Griffin. How are you doing, Susan? I am great. How are you, Simon? Yeah, good, good. So why don't you tell us who today's guest is? Well, this is really exciting for, for me in particular because I have known... Um, Jeremy Crisp for, I can't tell you for how many years, you'll do the math and then forget it for both <laughs> sakes. But Jeremy is the MD of a an advertising agency, a creative agency in Rhode Island um, in the U.S. called Nail. Um, they are best known, they're award-winning for some incredibly clever campaigns that manage to convey sometimes very serious messages with an ironic um, play on words, a, a, a twist that um, has has basically uh, given them a, a lot of, uh, of fame in, in this crazy business. Um, his backstory is that he uh, spent some time prior to, to being imported to the U.S., um, as a, uh, in various roles in some Fortune 500 companies, particularly in the alcoholic beverage category in the UK and Ireland. Um, he's an Irish lad by background. Um, and so he has some really fun stories to tell. So let's get to it. Let's do it. So welcome, Jeremy. It's great to have you here. We like to start our conversations by asking our guests to share, I guess, a little bit about their origin story. You know, where, where do you come from? You're, so you're the managing director of Nail Communications in Rhode Island. Um, you've worked client side and agency side. Um, so for the likes of Diageo, Guinness, but also for publicists. I guess what we're interested in is, were you always a storyteller? Is it something that evolved? And, and how did an Irishman end up in Rhode Island. <laughs> oh, God. How much time have you got? Um, <laughs> I, I'll try and keep it de- decently short. Um, I, I, I guess my career philosophy has been very simple. It's been based on following the fun. Um, when I, I left, uh, I went to Trinity in Dublin and graduated in 91. Um, Dublin at the time was, was not exactly a, a den of economic um, growth and there wasn't any jobs to be had. So I got on the Guinness, it was, this is before it was called Diageo, uh, graduate program. And they sent me off to Kilmarnock in Scotland. I worked at the Johnny Walker factory in procurement. And uh, the reason I ended up there, I think, is when I was filling out the, the application form, they had a section where you, you kind of chose your areas of interest. And even though I'd done a business degree, I, I ticked nine of the 12 options because I didn't really know what HR or operations or finance, I didn't know how much how much I'd enjoy them all. Um, and they put me in procurement, and I was in there for a year. And I, I was in Glasgow and Edinburgh, and then uh, I saw the sales guys were having a lot more fun than we were in procurement. They were going out <laughs> on the road, calling on bars and pubs, and I thought, hmm, maybe I should try and get into sales. So, uh, and that's the great thing about a big company like Guinness, Diageo now, is that you can kind of look around as you're learning, learning the tools of the trade. And uh, I got a job in London with, with uh, United Distillers, which was the spirit side of Guinness. 
and I was calling on 15 pubs a day, selling Johnny Walker, Gordon's Gin, Pim's, Rebel Yell Bourbon. I'm not even sure if that still exists. Um, and that was, that was really, really interesting, you know, a, a, an Irish guy working in London, because at the time, um, Irish weren't the most popular people in London. Um, but anyway, calling on pubs, which probably wasn't a bad thing for an Irish fellow to be doing. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it was kind of fun. It was enjoyable. It was hard work, though. I mean, 15 calls a day in, in my um, Vauxhall Cavalier hauling around central London was, wasn't a, was a bit of a grind after a couple of years. And I, I looked at my kind of marketing friends and colleagues, and they were having a lot more fun than we were in sales. And uh, a, a vacancy of... Really following the fun. <laughs> Simon, you might remember this, but there was a brand, brand called Caliber, non-alcoholic beer. Oh, yes, uh, yes, yes, yes. brewed yes. at Park Royal in, in North London, uh, northwest London. And uh, they had a, an opening, and I applied for the job, and I was lucky enough to get it. And uh, so that was my first brand, assistant brand manager on Caliber. Um, and then I, I was kind of off to the races. I, I just loved marketing um, and the storytelling aspect of it. The, the, the connection between business goals and, and human emotions and feelings was was. was really appealed to me and I, I, I then left and went to Sega for a year um, then I went uh, there was a brand called Tango is a brand called Tango at, at home in Ireland that's or at, in the UK um, that uh, <laughs> is, is sold by Britvic soft drinks and that was a big brand at the time it was quite exciting I think it was four in the soft drinks market after Coke and Pepsi and 7-Up um, but it was doing really interesting advertising and I I, mm. I, I applied for a job there and I think I was marketing manager for Tango for uh, for three years and that was really really good fun we worked with HHCL which was one of the agencies uh, great agencies in, in London at the time um, but the fun continued you know and then my wife my girlfriend and I got engaged and we wanted to move back to Ireland so I, I got a job at Nestle back in Ireland um, and you know Nestle is a, a great great company really rigorous marketing um, marketing company really excellent at what they do but you know very formulaic a very conservative i was working on nescafe which was their cash machine at the time so it wasn't really a, a risk-friendly environment um and i <laughs> i looked across the table at all the agencies and saw how much fun they were having and <laughs> it seemed like they were having more fun than us God, a theme emerges <laughs> and uh, I, I got an opportunity to join um QMP Darcy, which was part of the Publicis Network uh, in Dublin. So I jumped over there as, as Deputy Managing Director, uh, did that for two years. And then the JWT branch of Dublin branch, uh, an agency in Dublin called DDFH&B. Um, I was approached by then to become their Managing Director, and I did that for four years. And we grew from, I think, three in the market to number one in the market. I got to work on really fun brands. We, we won the, the National Lottery account, which you're literally selling fun you know it's 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 the best job working on the best brand so so that was terrific um and then you know my my wife and i had my mom's american so i I, i've been over here a lot over the years and we've come over here a lot we've always had a good time and we'd often return uh on our on the flight back saying we should move to america but but never do anything about it um and then in 2006 we'd had a particularly fun holiday um in Cape Cod and Martha's Vineyard, and I said, "Well, why don't I send my resume to a to a headhunter up in Boston, and hey, maybe something will happen." And because uh, it was really the 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 attraction of of adventure that was kind of pulling us over to the U.S. Nothing more, really. I I had a nice job. I was 
working in the industry I loved. Um, and I got, a, I got a call from this headhunter after six weeks. Um, and he said, yeah, there's, a, there's an agency down in, in Rhode Island called Nail, and they're looking for someone with your experience. Small firm. Um, yeah, it's, it's in Rhode Island. And I'm like, listen, pal, I'm not working on a fucking island. <laughs> I, you are in Boston, so I want to be. And he goes, no, no, it's a whole state. Uh, okay. It's a very small state, okay. but it's a whole state. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I apologized profusely and said, okay. And, uh, <laughs> we, uh, I started chatting with my now business partners, Alec and Brian, and uh, we had lots of phone calls and we talked about our dreams and ambitions for advertising and marketing. And it, it, we really clicked and connected. And I happened to be shooting a TV commercial for the National Lottery out in LA that summer or later that summer. So I stopped off in Boston and I came and spent the day with, with uh, the guys and met everyone at the agency and uh, they, they offered me a job and the following March we moved over, March of 2007 and I've been here ever since. Yeah, in 2007, Adweek at the time when they announced you're taking this role suggested that Nail had imported you, which I found to be a really funny, <laughs> funny description. But um, I think they were trying to avoid the word like you exported your, <laughs> Yeah, I think you exported yourself. From this and you story. did well if you like Cape Cod. Surely being in Providence is better than being in Boston because it's closer, right? It's right at the, yeah, right at the tip. It's certainly an, e it's a, certainly an easier, uh, easier drive. Easier sure. journey. Yeah, sure. yeah, so, and, and, you know, we've been here ever since and we've raised our kids here and, and we love it, 15 years later. Well, I remember meeting you at a conference, and I, I was trying to carbon date our meeting, but I, I remember it was a conference at which you had been acknowledged for winning awards, and you presented a case study on a project that Nail had done for the Food Bank of Rhode Island. Now, you know, with all of your experience with Fortune 100 companies, you know, Food Bank of Rhode Island is not exactly a multinational, but I remember that I was absolutely blown away. To this day, I remember it and go back and look on your website and, and revisit the, the program because you, you created this message, the impact of the message we'll talk about, but you created this message that was so kind of counterintuitive. The, the message, the theme, as I recall it, was nothing can end hunger. And I, it's tough for our listeners to envision what that campaign might have looked like, but I wonder if you could walk our listeners through the genesis and how you, how you so creatively um, came up with the campaign. Sure. Uh like a lot of nonprofits at the time, uh, the Rhode Island Food Bank was looking to recruit younger donors. Um, and uh, like all nonprofits are, uh, you need to constantly feed the machine. And uh, so they'd, they phoned us up and said, hey, could you do a digital campaign for us? And uh, we said, well, let, let's, let us talk to a few of your, your target donors first and see what we can learn about why they're not donating to you right now. And um, because the, the, the default, the logical reaction was, well, you find, this is back in 2009, you find young people on the internet, don't you? So let's do a digital campaign. Um, but So we talked to them and we found out why young donors weren't, uh, their preferences for the donations that they made. And their preferences were guided by a, a desire to do something tangible. 
So uh, let's buy, a, let's say, raise money to build a new playground at the local elementary school, $50,000. There's a finish line there. It's tangible. Let's buy a, a new dialysis machine for the hospital, a million dollars. There's a finish line. You buy the machine, it's delivered. Curing cancer, solving hunger are not tangible. There's The finish line is, particularly with hunger, it starts again the next day. I feed you today, you're hungry tomorrow. That ne never goes away. Um, so when we learned that, uh, we went back to them, we went back to our clients and we said, well, can we have permission not to deliver a, dig a digital campaign because we're not sure um, that that's, or not limit our thinking to a digital campaign? And they, they said, yeah, sure. I mean, we were working pro bono, so they weren't going to say no. Um, but, uh, and I remember we were, in, we were in the brainstorming room in our, in our old office, and uh, we were going around this, this thought about hunger and the, this notion that you can't end it, you can't cure it, you can't offer these people a finish line. You can't say to people, hey, give it, donate to this, this food bank and hunger will end. And there's this kind of exasperated repetition of, but nothing can end hunger. And one of our, one of our creative team said, but, but what if nothing could end hunger? And I'm like, hmm. What if nothing was something? And that, in that moment, what if nothing was something? This sparks of the idea were born. And we realized that we could offer our target audience something tangible by launching a food brand called Nothing. So we started, we designed a pack, a can, of course, it's a quintessential emblem of, of food banks. Um, and we designed a can with a, a logo and a crest called Nothing. Um, and it was from the Rhode Island Food Bank. And uh, we brought that, and that kind of was the germination of the idea. Let's launch a food brand called Nothing. We sold it. Uh, we went on the road with the Rhode Island Food Bank and visited uh, retailers to get listings because we wanted to sell it in the store this wasn't we didn't want it to be a gimmick we wanted people to be able to buy it to buy a can of nothing um, because a it it's real and true and proof but also it's a great way to raise money because the can was 2.99 three bucks and we realized that in the context of a, a cart full of groceries costing you $200, $300, whatever it may be, buying a can for $2.99 is a relatively small uh, step to take. Compared to if you're walking down the street, Simon or Susan, and I shake a can and say, hey, donate three bucks, you're gonna, you might give me a, 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 some quarters and, and change. Um, so it felt like it was also a very functional solution. Um, but at the heart of it all was this notion that nothing can end hunger and how heart-wrenching that idea is and yet we could reward people with a tangible, physical um, deliverable that they, and it turned out people put in on their kitchen tables. And they used the can, we put, a, we put a slit in the top and they use it as a swear jar, or they kept it by the, the, the front door and as they emptied their coins, they put, the, put it in. Um, or off, businesses would put it at reception. People would top it up. Um, and uh, we, 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 we teased it. Nothing is coming was, the, was how we rolled it out into the market um, because that's really intriguing from a storytelling point of view. What, what do you mean nothing is coming? It sounds quite scary, actually. Um, and then we, were, we, we launched it on TV, print, outdoor, radio. We had events. We had tastings. 
but you could taste nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we opened a... I remember, I remember some footage you showed in that conference where you, you were doing essentially kind of mall intercept um, tastings, and you, you basically had the can, and you opened up the can for a would-be buyer, um, and there was nothing, you know, you poured nothing into a bowl and said, this is what your neighbors in Rhode Island are, are having for dinner tonight. And the shock, the recognition on the faces was just, was astounding. Um, really, really powerful. It was tough because our, we really relied on our, our, our performer to hold that dramatic pause because people think they're coming in to taste chocolate or some kind of new candy or, or some new thing. Um, it's good, it's, they're excited. And then you, you pull back the lid and you see this empty plate. And uh, our... our performer had to hold and hold and hold, not say anything. The camera was sitting there. It was, it was a very uh, tense shoot from that regard. And you, you probably saw, saw Susan in our case of the video, we have people crying and it, it was really tough to do that to people. But it reflected the reaction that people, the heartfelt. Right. Um, right, and that it was so close. It wasn't that hunger was happening in some faraway country. Hunger was happening literally in, in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm in which these people lived. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, really, really powerful. And, you know, the, the proof is, of course, as you report on your website, that donations rose 40% in the first year. The campaign won numerous awards, and it was licensed in four other states. Um, well, that was the big win. See, I am, I am, I am, uh, from, you had me... <laughs> At that moment, I've been a fangirl. I will continue to be a fangirl. Well, thank you. Amazing work. Yeah, no, it was fun to... Fun is the wrong word, but um, the, the idea was so transferable. So to we, Andrew Schiff, who's still the CEO of the Food Bank, and, and by the way, my business partner, Brian, has joined the board, so we're, we're, still, we're still devoted to them um, as a business. But uh, we went on the road again with them, and we, we pitched it to other food banks. Um, as an idea, and, and what we encouraged Rhode Island to do was to license the idea. So they still, every time a can was sold in Vermont or New Hampshire, or uh, um, what was it the fourth state? I can't remember. Um, the the food bank of Rhode Island got a few cents, so it was it was it's, terrifically uh, effective for them. It's interesting. You know, you said you use the word fun, but of course we don't think of that kind of work as fun but the work is playful and just it just occurred to me that so often when we're dealing with a serious subject a lot of our clients will will steer away from stories and storytelling because they think it's too playful they think it's too fun and here you are demonstrating that you can use I'm not saying humor but playfulness on a very very serious subject to bring the story home and bring the subject home yeah the movie don't look up does it does it better than, than Adam mm. McKay does an incredible job of telling a horrible, terrifying story as you're sitting in the cinema mm. giggling. It's, uh, it's, it can be, to your point, Simon, it can be an incredibly powerful tool because at the end of the day, the luxury we have in, in, in our businesses is that we're trying to motivate people to change their behavior to the benefit of, yeah. of our client. And changing behavior is not something that we do casually. We humans love the status quo. We love a shortcut. We love the easy, <laughs> easy path. Yeah. So getting someone to do to change is, is really, really hard. And, and storytelling is, we've learned the, the best way to do that. 
regardless of the levity of the yeah. topic. And one of the, you know, the narratives that you say on your on your website is, you know, we solve problems in unexpected ways. I'd, I'd love to hear more about um, both from your clients' external audiences' point of view, but also how how do you do that for your internal teams? How do they embody that process? What's that, you know, in terms of the output and living your brand story? Yeah, it's it's a great question because it's uh, unexpected is is really at the heart of of what what we try and do because we believe that unexpected particularly here in the US where marketing messaging is so prevalent and omnipresent um, unexpected really is the only way to stand apart um, and uh, we've stopped talking about ourselves as a an advertising agency um, or a design agency because we do brand design as well or a media agency um, and we're a creative agency the tools of our work are advertising, design, media, etc. But we are a creative agency, and we we work on exclusively on brands. So we don't work on products. We don't think about them as products. We, we think about them as brands. So uh, marrying a creative agency to a brand need or brand mission is is. Uh, is where we believe unexpected is, is born. Um, and the other thing that we, we don't limit our thinking to just advertising or brand design. So we, we talk about brand behavior. So the, 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 the one that my business partner Alec often says is, you know, we should be thinking about what the hold music is at reception for our clients, because that's part of the brand behavior. What's the sign on the factory look like? Um, and we, we break brand behavior down into kind of all the deliverables, all the tools that, uh, that are available to, it, to, uh, to us to, to tell a client's story. So advertising, media, what we call identity, which is logo guidelines, naming, packaging as well. And then presence, which is your website, your organic social, your sales collateral, your trade show. You know, we've done a ton of trade show work, um, building signage. So the the brand behavior is really the vehicle for delivering um, the unexpected in your, in your question. Um, that's, that's where it comes to life. And the fact that you had all this experience, you know, wearing all the hats, whether it was procurement or, um, you know, sales or marketing at these other brands has got to inform an empathy for the the task of um, conveying the brand message beyond just those those folks who are uh, are called marketers. Um, I, I think that experience probably has been very useful for you. Yeah, it's certainly given us um, it's given us credibility in the room when you're going in mm. to make uh, uh, make the case for something unexpected. If you've you can tell the poacher turned gamekeeper story. Um, the kind of I've been where you're, I've sat where you're sitting. Um, that certainly helps. Uh, I, I remember once we were, we started working with Vibram Five Fingers when they were launching, which is that that shoe with the toe pockets. I don't know whether you. If, oh, right. it, was, it was a it it was at the forefront yeah. of the minimalist uh, shoe movement back in 2010, 2011, and they approached us to build a website. 
And what we realized is that the, the shoe celebrated the incredible engineering of the human body. You know, millennia of evolution that made the human body perfect for the things that it did. And all the other accoutrements you added to that um, were, uh, were not going to out, outgun evolution. Um, so <laughs> we went into the presentation. They asked us to build a website. Our idea was to build a website on a human body because you are the technology, so let's, make, let's tell the story on the human body. And to make the point simple and easy for our client to, or, or to, interesting for our, 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 our soon-to-be client in the room, we didn't turn on a computer in the, in the pitch. We stuck everything up on the wall with kind of old A3, as you'd say in Europe, size sheets and just stuck them all up to show how simple it was. Um, and they, they, it made it easy for them to see how effective this could be and how easy it would work. Uh, how easy uh, the, the story would be to convey. Um, and uh, so that the, that's, that's kind of part of, of the unexpected uh, work that we do, is you've got to help your client see the end benefit, to see the, that sometimes being bold is the only option. Right. You know, an, another example of something unexpected um, is a campaign that you created for Knock the Vote. Um, I saw it last year. I didn't realize it was Nail, the, the, the work of Nail, but it was just so incredibly, it was unexpected. And essentially the campaign was a group of decidedly old people who represent the block of voters who are most likely to vote. And these old people were saying, dear young people, don't vote. You know, because you, if you vote, then all of our self-interest represented by our votes isn't going to count, so don't vote. And I, I, you know, I thought, wow, this kind of ironic approach to language is in such short supply today. You've, 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 you've described it as being unexpected, but it's that, it's that, turn of a phrase, it's that inversion of an observation, the ironic play on the sometimes obvious, sometimes not so, but you, you mentioned it earlier, you talk about it on your website, it's this, it's this relentless um, pursuit of helping your clients' audiences feel something. You know, and you said it earlier, it's the connection of business goals to human emotions. But wh what was it that, that you all at Nail, what was that, that profound moment at which you, you said, wow, it's, it is all about the power of feelings to generate action? Well, I guess the success of that or the thinking behind that particular spot needs a little bit of context. Um, every celebrity in Hollywood has made a get out the vote video from Madonna to Tom Cruise to Anne Hathaway we, we, we use those to tell the, the story to the client um, and they're genuine legitimate entreaties for people to get out and vote they're very earnest and passionate um, and if you can't listen to Jonah Hill telling you what to do 
and you're not going to react to that. We're, we're pretty sure it, it's not going to work. And at, at the time that we were doing this work, um, people were upset and angry at what was going on in politics. It was the, coming up to the midterms in 2018. Um, and we realized that earnest isn't going to work, so let's make people angry. But to your earlier question, making people angry with humor is a great way to get under, to get under the defenses, the, 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 uh, the, the kind of the, the defensive uh, posturing that a lot of uh, uh, we have a lot over here, Simon, in, in politics, where it's, it's very black or white. There's no kind of gray area. And oh, yeah. the, the anger combined with humor created a gray area for the message to, to, to sneak through and be embraced. Um, and we were lucky it, it, it was picked up by a lot of celebrities in, in Hollywood, retweeted it, Russell Crowe retweeted it, um, and um, Ellen retweeted it, which, you know, she got millions and millions of followers. So it, it got an awful lot of momentum. But it worked replacing earnestness with anger, you know, with a cheeky smile on your face. Um, played to the, the feeling that's at the heart of all our human biases, right? If you think about all the biases we've built up over millennia to keep ourselves alive, you know, confirmation bias, anchoring bias, in-group and peer bias and so on, you know, we're all very familiar with them in, in marketing because we're often trying to get past them. Well, we kind of lent into them in, in that instance. We lent into the kind of the anger and frustration. Um, and uh, we tried to create this, this sense of herd feeling of uh, amongst young people to go, no, I'm sorry, not anymore. We're too angry. This is too much. We're too angry about this. And unfortunately, I, I think we were probably helped by the idiot in the White House at the time, but the vote, uh, the, the youth vote numbers went through the roof um, in 2018 and uh, turned over a bunch of seats and the, the Democrats got the House back. Um, but at, at the heart of it all is feelings. And for us at Nail, that the power of feelings doesn't need a convincing argument. It, it's the only game in town. Feelings are how you are successful in marketing. Logic doesn't really win the day. I think as well as as what you've what you've just shared with us there is this very very pure story storytelling technique, which is to lean into conflict to find a conflict point and to embrace it. And Susan and I spend a lot of time with our clients just trying to persuade them to not avoid the conflict point. They say, that's, that's, the, that's the point. That's the moment that's going to elicit an emotion and get people interested in this. And yet people are so scared of it, I guess, and they just move to the generic or to the bland. So it's really fascinating that, you know, you've got that storytelling point. Yeah, we did a, I, we did a campaign for um, Mike and Ike a candy over here in the US, Simon, and um, it's well known, it's been around for 70 or 80 years, and <laughs> like most candies, they have no competitive product advantage. They, they're made of the same ingredients, they charge the same price, they're distributed in all the same places, and, and like anyone who's worked in the candy industry, you know that the only way you're going to be successful is awareness and frequency, so at, when you're at the fixture, the hand goes from there to there. Um, so uh, we wanted to create a tension for them and we proposed to them that we break them up. It was a celebrity breakup that Mike and I were going to break up. Um, but 
that, that's, a fun, that's a fun little story, right, on, on the face of it. But why it was so successful was we, the layer of tension that we dialed up, which was we pretended it was real. Yeah. So uh, we, on the, on the packs, on half the packs, we crossed out Mike, and on the other half, we crossed out Mike with the Sharpie. We didn't literally go on the back of it, it was printed. But, um, and we did, we did a lot of celebrity videos of people like reacting to the news and getting really upset. I can't believe this is happening. And then we had Mike going into, and I going into different careers. So Mike went into music and we made a rap video. I went oh, into nice. art and we had this art critic discussing the, the, the choices he was making and what a, a, the genres that he was going into. And we made it feel really real. So it felt like, yeah. Is this actually real? That's brilliant. And we had a, uh, then we had a breakup. We made a, a breakup movie. We didn't make a movie. We made a trailer for a movie, um, and I had an IMDb page. And had a launch party for the movie. So, so the tension came from the. Is, is it real? That's so. That's so interesting because there was, there was a campaign. I can't remember if it was Kit Kat or Twix in the UK where they did. They they sort of did something similar, but they never went all in like that. Which is exactly what I wanted them to do. They split the. I think it was Twix. It's like you either you're a lefty or you're righty. But they didn't then sell like lefty <laughs> Twixes and right. I think it's like that. You know, you thought that's what you want. You want it to be, uh, three hundred and sixty. You want it to feel whole. Um, it's interesting because Susan and I have been talking about um, the the, and we're fascinated by the rise of AI and machine learning and its role in creativity and content creation. I just can't imagine an artificial machine coming up with any of these campaigns you're talking about. You know, nothing can end hunger, dear young people. I just, I, I just can't. I can't. I can't see it. I, I think there's just something missing. Particularly, I think it's when Susan used the word you know, irony or that, that sense of humor, I'm not sure you can learn, machine learn that. I might be wrong. I mean, I guess the question is, do you see AI playing a role in the development of creative work going, you know, or what, what role is it? I mean, and I know it's important. I know that it helps people um, get to answers quicker. But what about creativity? Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. I I, I've talked to Alec a lot about this, our, my business partner, and we've played with some of the tools, particularly Alec's a, a copywriter by training, um, and some of the tools that they have around copywriting are, are, are pretty robust. Um, and where we, why we're not terrified uh, as a creative agency <laughs> is uh, we see AI as a great tool we think mm. AI will help with creating the ingredients of concepts and ideas, but really strong ideas, really robust ideas that create tension and create interest and make people feel. Um, you know, it's going to be, it's ironically, it's going to be in our human ability to do this kind of if-then rationale. You know, it's going exactly. to, it's the irrational connection. Yeah. that only humans can do. It's the leap of, of faith that's, that's fed by you know, something in the zeitgeist or a new, whatever it might be, TikTok video trend and mocking that yeah. or writing that way that, that AI can give you the ingredients for, but they won't be able to take the two pieces together and, and connect them. Yeah. Right. Simon and I talk a lot about 
the notion that it's it really what what makes individuals human what what makes humanity is the ability to tell stories and yeah if we have a better sort of pot of or or cupboard of ingredients to draw from terrific but um we, we we smiled a bit here when you said the reason we're not terrified. And and Nail deserves to have that confidence. Many other agencies do not because they don't bring to the process the understanding of creativity that, that has manifested so brilliantly in your work. Well, you know, guys, we, we um, may sound like... Uh, three buggy whip salesmen in 1895, you know, and, and uh, being, <laughs> being out with a car. And, uh, very, very true. You no, know, a car could never whip a horse. <laughs> so uh, I, I'm saying it with a, 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 a huge degree of confidence, but I'm conscious that I, I don't, I, I know we're, we're at an interesting time in, 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 in technology's development. So uh, right. who knows? But I, I, I just don't understand how you can how a machine could do what, or a computer can do what we weird, strange, emotional humans can do. Yeah, well, we, you've got our vote. Um, <laughs> yeah, definitely. So <clears throat> you've won, in doing the, you know, doing the, the research before this um, conversation, you've won 102 awards in this past decade, including Effie Gold, One Show Gold, Hatch Gold, Ad Age Small Agency of the Year. Your website says you were shortlisted for Con Lions, but I don't worry, I, the, the rumor has it that the rosé wasn't that good this year, so it's, you know, you'll make it there, uh, hopefully in a better vintage year. But on your website, you talk about tenets, you know, kind of the the ordering principles behind your business, and they include curiosity, creativity, and partnership. Um, and if you could just talk a little bit about how each one of those maybe you see as contributing to being these, be, being the agency that that continues to win these story-driven campaigns for such a diverse range of clients. Uh, abso uh, absolutely, and uh, so diverse clients. Uh, brand behavior, so our work is delivered in a diverse array of, of outputs. But most importantly for for us here at Nail, a diverse array of thinkers and doers. So people who come with very different perspectives, very different backgrounds, very different ages and genders. We, we've got a, a, a real smorgasbord of, of people. Um, and the tenants are at the heart of how we work. Um, and they're kind of the exclusive underpinning of that wide array of talent, right? You need something, you need a glue. Uh, and these, these tenants are, are ours. So like we've got kind of 15 words that we use, which we're pretty proud we got it down, we boiled it down to 15 words. <laughs> but you know, we, we started off by saying, well, what do, what do clients get when they come to Nail? Um, and we said, where brands come to find they're fascinating. So the, the key word is brand, the key words there are brand, find and fascinating. Uh, because you've got a brand understanding is really important. Clients don't come in and go, hey, we need a TV ad for our new shoe. Oh, okay, well, we've got to understand that. So, so uh, find, we've got to find out more. So brand, where brands come to find they're fascinating is our, our kind of vision and our mission as, as an agency. 
And then what glues us all together as, as a group of people, we have four two-word tenets. So stay curious is probably the most important and first one. Uh, and it's why we've been lucky enough to have long relationships with our clients. We've worked with Lifespan for over nine years now. The average relationship with our clients is over six years. And it's because we are constantly curious about what's next and where, where they're going and how people are changing and how they're changing. So stay curious. Prove creativity. So we, we can ch chat ad infinitum on this call, Susan and Simon, about AI will never take over and um, behaving differently, uh, how critical that is. And, and that creativity is the engine of, of storytelling. But by God, you have to prove it to the lad or lass who's writing the check for your $2 million marketing campaign because their boss is going to be evaluating them against the growth that you deliver. So prove creativity. You can't just say you've got to, you've got to prove it. Um, so stay curious, prove creativity, embrace growth. So sometimes when you're, you're really into storytelling and you're really into um, you know, changing behavior, uh, it's easy to get a bit artistic about that. <laughs> to stuff and to ignore <laughs> yeah. the business side of, of why we're here. Yeah. And we're, we're a proud private company. We're very proud of delivering profits for our owners and, and growth for our, our, our staff and you know, paying bonuses and things like that. It's, it's important. So embracing growth is important. When people come into Nell, they realize why we're here. We're not authors, we're not movie makers, we're, we're a business and we help businesses grow. And then the, the fourth one is something that agencies don't celebrate enough, which is invest thoughtfully. We spend a lot of money on behalf of our clients, and we do it all the time. Um, and we're pretty good at it. We're pretty good at deciding who the best photographer is or the best shooter is for a, a video or the best designer is for a website. Um, a, because we do it all the time, and we realize that it's value, not price, that matters. Um, in the art of storytelling because there is that's where the kind of the art and the science uh, meet and the rubber hits the road so invest thoughtfully is a may not sound to you guys as we talk about kind of nails creativity and our, 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 our background but invest thoughtfully is a very important benefit to our clients and a very important behavior for us as people um, to deliver the, the, the work that we do so those kind of four tenants are the are the basis for for what glues us all, all our weird band of merry men together it's <laughs> great it is well uh we could chat for ages which we say to all our to every guest it's like we could go on talking forever which we could um but we we'll we have asked, to have you back yeah <laughs> absolutely but before you go um we we like to ask all our guests um do you have a favorite story now there's no pressure you know as an irishman the rich tradition of storytelling that <laughs> comes from Ireland, no pressure at all. Um, do you, do you, but we're expecting big things. That's what we're saying. Uh, <laughs> do you have a favourite story? And if so, what is it? Um, I guess it would be interesting to close the loop on, on how we started our chat uh, about coming to America. Um, and just for some context, back home in Ireland, teasing, taking the piss um, is, is, is an art form. Um, and, and I think it is because it shows love, weirdly, because, you know, we, we tell, lecture our kids about not teasing their friends. 
Um, but you can't tease as ruthlessly and pointedly and hilariously as Irish people do within families and friend groups and communities unless you really know the person, you really understand them. And you know what their vulnerabilities are, their vanities are, <laughs> their biases are. I, I come from an Irish family, and <laughs> I, I, I have experienced this full frontally. So, so that, that's, I, I miss that. I miss that kind of uh, elegant, smirky backstabbing that goes on amongst friends and families <laughs> uh, since coming to the States. Because uh, particularly in the current climate, it's, you, you can't really say anything too pointed or too controversial. So I, I had a lovely moment this, <laughs> this summer. Um, my daughter and I, my daughter's uh, 20 now, but we'd, we'd long hankered uh, to go to Six Flags, um, you know, these roller coaster parks. And we never got to it, but so we finally did it uh, this summer. And uh, she and I went up uh, to our local Six Flags and it was 95 degrees, it was miserable. You know, an, an Irish dad and his Irish American daughters. Yeah. Sitting in this ro our tenth roller coaster of the day, about <laughs> petrified, and we're, we're sitting in the in the cart, and I look to my right, and the next group are line, lined up, and I see a couple of redheaded lads, sunburnt, wearing hurling jerseys, so they were they were clearly Irish, yeah. and yeah. Uh, oh, another thing I should say, when you're in college in Ireland, you typically come over to the states and work for a summer, on your J1 visa. Yeah. So a J1 visa is a commonly known uh, uh, rite of passage for, for every college kid in, in Ireland. And I did it. I came over twice um, back in the 80s. So I, I, I see these lads, they're wearing their hurling jerseys and uh, they've got the red hair and the, the sunburn. And I, I catch one of their eyes and I go, J1 lads. And uh, they, they, one of them, they both smile at me. One of them goes, yeah, you? <laughs> you know, I'm 54, I've no hair. I'm clearly not on my day one. I'm sitting with my daughter. But it was, it was just that they, they spotted my weakness. Me trying to be cool and, and nice. one of the lads trying to fit in. Brilliant. And they, he slayed me with one word. <laughs> we went around this terrifying roller coaster. And... We pulled in, you come in the back and the, the lads were still standing there. They were getting in after us. I was still laughing when we got back to the other <laughs> And your man caught my eye oh. again. He's giggling away. It was, it was just a magic Amazing. Point. So that was, Wonderful. that was it. Teasing is love. This is the message of the Teasing story. Teasing is love. <laughs> right. Excellent. Right. Thank you so much, Jeremy. We, yeah. we really appreciate your time and... and um, continue to uh, to really honor and, and admire the work that you guys continue to do mm. so thanks for sharing your story well in, 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 uh, in keeping with our theme this was great fun <laughs> thanks thanks guys again I, I think I say this every time but that was fascinating Jeremy's so interesting and so funny and so um dare I say entertaining even though I know entertainment is not the only thing we should be focusing on <laughs> um, well you know you know there was this theme that ran through everything which was fun mm. and it it was quite fun to have a conversation with Jeremy but he he talked about some things that are really incredibly applicable to uh, <clears throat> what our listeners 
what keeps our listeners up at night, mm. dare I say it. And, you know, Nail's value proposition, you know, one of the things that jumped out at me was we solve problems in unexpected ways. Mm. Um, you know, he talked about a client coming to them and saying, we want this thing. And that Nail's response is really tell us about your target audience. Yeah. Right. They, they start with who is going to be the audience for this story that you're creating and that sometimes the story you need to create has to be turned on its head, which they do remarkably well through clever use of language. And, mm. you know, we got into it at a certain point, but we all share the perhaps um, unpopular point of view that <laughs> while AI can be a great tool for surfacing ingredients, it's really going to be the humans who can take those ingredients and make sometimes irrational connections. Mm, yes, yes. That provoke action. And, you know, he talked about the idea of connecting business goals and human emotions, which the campaigns that Neil has created um, perfectly exemplify. So yeah. we solve problems in unexpected ways, winds up unwinding in many in, in many directions for me. Yeah, which I guess, you know, leads to the, the next point, which I thought was really interesting, which is around um, not describing yourself by the tools. So, you know, not describing yourself as an advertising or website design, but to talk about creating and defining brand behavior. And that's the vehicle right. that, that, that um, defines their brand message. You know, the example of Right. helping people define the whole music that plays in reception and things like that. I, I, I think that's a really important idea that you, you know, you're not describing yourself as what you do, but how you help and how that um, it's the whole, you know, features versus benefits thing really, isn't it? Right. Right. And brand is not something that you applique onto the mm. surface of a company, but it's, it's, it's felt by everyone in the organization. Yeah. And if you do it right, everyone in the organization can be the ambassador of the brand story. Um, everyone and everything, as you know, as you say. It's, exactly. It's, yeah, it's, exactly. It's, about, it's about as much about what goes on in the, in the organization, in the buildings, in the communications and connections. It's, yeah, it's fascinating stuff. So I think right. it's really important. And they do it so artfully, mm. but with a discipline. <laughs> You know, he talked yeah, about yeah. the tenants that they subscribe to. But within the, that context, the one that I loved the most in their tenants was the idea of embracing growth. And, you know, he said it, that storytelling must be more than artistic. Mm, yeah. Don't ignore the business side of your deliverable to the client. And, you know, I, I think that that we... You and I always talk about the idea that storytelling is a utility. It's not frivolous. It's highly connected. And it has to stand for the thing that's going to help you grow your business. Yeah. So it's got to be integral to all aspects of the way you manage your business. But I loved hearing it from somebody who's agency is known for 
creativity, but as he said, proving creativity. In other words, creativity not for creativity's sake, but creativity because it's ultimately going to serve, again, that business goal. Absolutely. Well, go on. And then, of course, you know, he's clearly, he's, I don't think it's because he's Irish, but it doesn't hurt that he's Irish because that little kind of glint in his eye. Sparkle, yeah. Yeah, that that translates to fun. I love that. Yeah. And fun is not frivolous. Love it. Really interesting stuff. Yeah, a great conversation. We're spoilt, as always, with, with the people that we get to talk to. Um, and I hope our listeners found it as fascinating as we did. Um, so, yeah, I love the great episode. Thanks for tuning in. Please, please, please come back to hear more. We've got some real treats coming up in the next uh, few weeks and beyond. We do. Um, and, of course, of different- our, our, our back catalogue is not bad. Oh, either. yeah. You know, yeah. season one has got some goodies <laughs> if you haven't if you haven't turned in tuned into all of them yeah um, and in the meantime um if you want to learn more about both susan and i and our partners and how we help organizations you can either visit our websites which we will put in the show notes for uh, griffin and skeggs collaborative or for iambic creative or of course you can pop along to storyconversations.blog and learn all about us there um so hopefully we'll see you next time Right. And if you do need brand, communication, um, design help to grow your own brands, um, give us a shout. Bye for now.